Welcome to Wednesday Night Live, the class that puts some peak into your week. We're glad that everybody has shown tonight, and hopefully we'll have a great class together. We're beginning our verse-by-verse -verse study of Colossians. So tonight will be a little different, but we're going to start off with reading what it says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank you, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray to you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. That you have already heard about the word of truth, the gospel. That has come to you all over the world. This gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You've heard it from Epaphroditus, our dear brother, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And have told us of your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray that, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Will you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for bringing us together and helping us to look into your word. Help us to honestly apply it to our lives and to be more of what you want us to be. I ask you to help me get out of the way that people may see you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want you to remember that this is a class where we teach each other. It's not one going out to you, it's, it's back coming forth. So we teach each other here. And by doing that, we get a broader scope of what the scripture actually says. Let's start in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now this is kind of typical for this day and age. Back when Paul was writing, you would mention who you are and then you would give credentials of why you're writing them and that you have the authority to do so. 
So this is a kind of typical thing right up front where Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. It's that typical opening that he uses. And then he mentions Timothy. Why do you think Timothy's mentioned? He's with Paul. Very good. Peter. He's, he must be part of it. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, Paul was pretty, he had an eye problem, and some believe very much that he, that Timothy was his secretary, I guess, that took the dictation, that write the letter, okay? Yeah, he will, Timothy will be the main man at a congregation, and his last letter will be written, Paul's last letter will be written to Timothy. Okay. That's an act, he found him in Acts 16.20. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace from God our Father. David Harrell is a biblical scholar and he's written several letters on the writings of Paul. Uh, you can get them on Amazon, just copy down the name, get them on Amazon, but if you're looking for an easy read, something that's really easy to read, you're looking the wrong place. This man's a scholar and he writes like a scholar. And what he does is he makes some mentions in things like Some want to make women inferior because it just mentions brethren. Well, that is the way the Jewish people did it because women back then, we got some women here, they didn't count as far as their official legal rights were concerned. They didn't have any legal rights. But the Romans, on the other hand, who were in charge when Paul wrote, they had, women had rights. And so when they wrote, they wrote to men and women. Now, don't let this throw you at all because it's mentioned in the Bible that we're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of us who are baptized into Christ, clothed ourselves with Christ. So now there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The church has many avenues. And when you're a Christian, we are all one trying to keep this all balanced. That balance God intended us to have since the beginning. That we don't make those kind of differences where something doesn't get done because it's not men's work. Okay. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. What makes somebody faithful, a faithful brother? Peter. Is um, Colossae the town you talked about before? Is Colossae the town you talked about before? The yeah. City? Yeah. 
Klaus he is. Sue. Well, first of all, to be brothers or sisters in Christ, you have to be in Christ. Uh, and the Bible talks about how we are uh, through faith and through our baptism into the death of Christ that we are in Christ. Uh, so that's part of it. And then faithful is a whole nother uh, aspect, to me at least, because I think that you can be faithful or unfaithful. Uh, faithful people are staying on the road. They are serving Christ. They are, they are representatives of Christ and God, and, and they're making them proud. Okay, very good. Thank you. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Why do you think Paul gives thanks to God for the brethren at Colossae? Okay, very good. Seeds you planted, God helped grow. Great. That's a really good point because even though we don't know that he actually went to Colossae, he did plant the seeds in somebody else that went to Colossae. And uh, so that's a really good point. Yes, it is. Definitely a good point. Okay, we're small in numbers, so we've got to talk more, force ourselves to speak up. Uh, on the right track as far as what they're doing, holding down their own individual and collective faith and demonstrating and practicing that faith. And I, I'm sure Paul is aware of how encouraging it will be for them to hear this nice spiritual compliment coming from somebody like Paul. Very well, good. Thank you. You're ahead of me, but that's okay. How do we express our love to the saints, or do we? getting some people winking at me. One's my wife, sort of, winking at me. Uh, I, I saw it uh, demonstrated today in our ladies' Bible class, and I was so impressed with the lady that we had young people in our class today. One was a senior in high school, one was in college, and then the rest of us are 65 plus, uh, and when the class was over, one of the older ladies went over to the younger ladies and told them how glad she was that they were coming and how much their comments meant to her, and she was just really pleased that they were coming. And I thought that was demonstrating, okay, I have accepted you even though you're much younger than I am, and you're still my sister in Christ. Oh, very good. Great example. I'm reminded of what's written in 1 John, where in chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Dear
Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with an actions and in truth. Uh-huh. Um, so obviously we have to demonstrate that love, and we can do that in a number of ways. Encouraging, like she said, is a tremendous way. I'm, all, I'm sure we're all familiar with Gary, uh, Gary, Gary, well, the guy who wrote the five love languages. I forgot his last name. Now. Chapman. Gary Chapman. How he talks about there's how uh, there's five different ways that people feel loved. Uh huh. And just because I tell somebody I love you, that, that, that their words uh, may, maybe to somebody they feel more loved when it's demonstrated somehow rather than verbally said. Uh, so you know whether it's a fellowship meal with the saint. Uh, or, you know, a special card or whatever it might be. I think there's all sorts of ways we can demonstrate that love. Okay, very good. Thank you. That's struggling with a problem, and a brother or sister helps them with that problem. You know, it might be a physical problem. It might be a financial problem. might be emotional. But a brother and sister comes alongside and, and helps and supports. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it just, you just support at the right time. Very good. Sometimes it's even picking up the cross, picking up the cause. You know, to get from there to here, the 2,000 year difference has been passed from one person to another. Somebody picks up the cause, somebody evangelizes, continues to make it grow. And sometimes that's the easiest way. Uh, I don't know if it's the easiest way, but that's one way to show love. For people you don't even know, to show love for the next generation and the grandkids to come beyond that, is make sure that the church is still here. Yeah. Very good. What specifically do you think you can do to encourage, being more encouraging to others? I'm sorry. Being Christ-like filled with the Holy Spirit and with all the empowerment of all of its fruits. Very good. Excellent. Sue. It, I'm encouraged when somebody tells me they have been praying for me, whether they tell me verbally or they put that in a card. Uh, I, that's always an encouragement, uplifting. Okay. Peter. Yeah, I agree with Sue, um, because I know that many people have prayed for me, and many things, and it has helped me in many ways, and many things have come true, and um, when I pray for somebody else, I feel like I'm getting out of myself and doing something that Christ wants me to do. Okay, very good. Paul starts out a letter to a church. When he does that, he starts out with something positive. Every time, except for two. That's not only good Bible, that's good psychology. A lot of times when a husband and wife come in and they've been sort of button heads, I tell them that they have to engage in five minutes of positive things that they like about each other before they can bring up something that they don't like about each other. And it works. 
you have to know that this person coming at you is not hating you, that they do still care for you, and they do see the good side of you, but there are times each of us mess up, messes up a little bit. So using that is great psychology. Start off with things that are, po that are positive, and Paul's great at it. There are some congregations that he just starts off with something positive and then plows into something. And then there's the second type. Things are a lot more complicated. And he gives a lot of things. And he builds them quite high up because he's going to ask them to make some major, major changes. But there are two books that don't have any type of thanksgiving or praise. Anybody want to take a shot at them? Just figure out what they are. Hebrews? No introduction in that book, like that's why we don't know who wrote it. Okay. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of thanksgiving there through it because it's about the coming of Christ and the party plays. Let me give you a hint. One says, even if an angel from heaven will come and preach another gospel, let him be accursed. That's in Galatians. Very good. And in the second book, he says there is a certain group, and all of them are, are a bunch of lazy bums, basically. The book of Titus where he looks at the Cretans and he sort of just goes down the road. And there's no thanksgiving and praise. But in this book, there's lots. In fact, he starts at three, and I just sort of used each one of the different thanksgivings and good things about them that they're talking about. You get through the yellow, you hit the blue, that's the next one, the white. Then we go back to the L and back to the white. He does this all through the first 14 verses of just picking up and saying what he's thankful for and, and how they are to be praised and the good that is happening. So this is the complicated version because you've got to sort of take your time with it to figure out exactly where he's headed. Uh, if you want to get a real hint of what a complicated version looks like, get yourself a piece of paper and go through the first 14 verses and see how many you can find. It's just one of those things that's sort of a, a nice time when you're bored to do something. That will help your faith a whole lot. And I'm going to show you how it's done. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have from the, all the saints, the faith and love that spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. I put the yellow to remind myself that there are different kinds of love 
in Greek. The first one is known as storge. Anybody have any idea what storge is? In My Fair Lady, there's a song, I've grown used to my face, used to your face. And he's talking about a woman, and she's just been around so long that she's grown on him. Do you have a favorite chair? One of those chairs, you just, it is your chair. And you're going to sit in your chair, because that is your chair, and you've just grown used to the way it supports your body. That's what storge is. It's a love that is just, I have grown used to this, and it is part of me, and that's great. Now, the second one, you'll get this one, is Adelphia. We get our word Philadelphia from it by the combination of two Greek words. Friendship. Friendship. It's brotherly love, friendship. It's when we, we really care about somebody and we are close friends. Then there's the third. Anybody know what the third is? Agape. Uh, there's, one high, there's one lower. Eros. Eros in our world means something totally different than it meant in the biblical world. Eros simply means somebody that you know everything about. Now sometimes that can be a best friend you know everything about. But it wasn't necessarily sexual. It was in the fact that I, I pretty well, I've been married to Sue for a long time now, almost 50 years. I know her pretty well. She's a person that, as far as getting to know her, I know her pretty well. And some of you have been married a long time. Brent and Wanda, how many years? Forty. Forty, that's close. And you probably have gotten to know each other pretty well in 40 years. That's what it means. It's that complete knowledge of each other. Then comes agape. And the word agape here, anybody know what it means? Unconditional love. Love with no strings attached. It is the kind of love that God has for us. He loves us when we're good. He loves us when we're bad. He loves us when we're up. He loves us when we're down. You can't break it. And he asks Christians that they keep on loving like God loves. Okay, the word stored up. It's a word borrowed from the business world of that day. It's like referring to something that stores something else. For instance, a granary stores your grain and keeps it dry. Or if they had libraries back then, they did, they would keep books in the right kind of place. And when he says that it's stored up, he's talking about something that is now for us, in existence for us, 
And so heaven isn't wishful thinking. It's a sure shot. It exists. God made it exist. It is ready for us when he gets ready for us. It's a real thing that you have today. And he wants to remind the people of Colossae, that's what you've got already. God's got a place reserved for you already. Their faith is the force that they've had from the beginning. There wasn't an incubation period. When you start something new, you tend not to be good at it. But here, from day one, their faith was leading others to Christ and changing them at the same time to help people become what God wanted them to become. So far, so good. It's come to you all over this gospel, bearing fruit and growing, has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. What's he trying to tell them now? How long did it take to bear fruit in their lives? They, they heard it. It started to take control and it's changing them since the day they heard about God's grace. Beginning of the beginning. Since the beginning of the beginning. <laughs> How important it is that the gospel constantly bear fruit and increase. Because it's growth in your spiritual life, and uh, it makes you a better person, and um, um, more God-conscious, and having godliness. Thank you, Peter. Very good. Got to have one more. Doug talked about how important it was that the gospel continued from generation to generation to generation. And uh, part of that is bearing fruit. Uh, the way we live is, you know, the, the way we ex exemplify God and Christ in our lives is, is part of that bearing fruit as well. Okay. That makes a difference. There's not a super gospel or a plus, uh, like a plus membership. It's just a gospel. It's the truth and the good news about Jesus Christ. There's not a truth plus. There's not more good news. There's not, you've gone so far, let us give you the next book. This is all there is. And if it doesn't continue to grow, it'll just wither away. Very good. Thank you, Doug. He learned it from Epaphroditus, from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister on our behalf, and who also told us of your love 
in the spirit. Who's Epaphroditus? Epaphras, excuse me. I had the wrong guy. Who's Epaphras? Faithful minister of Christ. Okay. So, how would Paul know that? I know there's some speculation that he may have originally been maybe in Ephesus or someplace where Paul was preaching, much like Timothy. Uh-huh. Uh And uh, Paul was sharing the gospel and he became a Christian and uh, like Timothy and Titus he grew and he became a minister that he sent out to other places. Yeah. When you jump over to wrong way. When you jump over to chapter four, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature, fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Aerolopolis. So, Paul knows him kind of well. He and Paul are, are close friends. And when he talks about him being in Colossae, he knows what he's doing there. He's doing what he's done before in other places. Okay. For this reason, since the day you've heard, we have not stopped. For you asking to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's talking about God and the spirit that he fills you with all spiritual wisdom. What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is just like knowledge? Okay, very good. Forward on you again. It's flip the screen. Flip forward on you again. Back. Yeah, you're still back. Back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why do you think he prayed so much for the Colossians? Because they needed to be prayed for. They needed to be prayed for. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Peter Sue. Perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints. Very good. Like he did a lot of 
congregations. They, you just become attached to the people that are there. And perhaps he even knew some people in Colossians. They may have become Christians somewhere, because his missionary journeys went close, at least, to Colossae. And he may know some people there personally. Very good. What can we learn about the content of Paul's prayer for them? You know, when I pray for people, it's usually about something going on in their life. I pray for people who are sick. I pray for people who've lost jobs. I pray for people who are struggling financially. But to pray for people that they spiritually grow, that they spiritually become what they want, I don't do that as much. And yet that's the content of Paul's prayer here. He's praying that they spiritually grow. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, that you may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, that you may have endurance and patience and joyfully live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in bearing every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Good be. So, what does it mean to live a life worthy of the Lord? Thank you, Doug. Well, anybody can do good works, but the works that the, the Lord is concerned about is seeking and saving the lost. Yeah, good point. Excellent. Got to have one more. Just because you love the Lord and you want to please him. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. Some of my favorite stuff to do is see somebody have, like teaching a kid's class, to see them have that aha moment. They've been coming to class for forever and all of a sudden they catch it. And you see a difference in them from there on. Um, same thing with adults. I mean, here recently I've had some people, some guys do prayer, public prayers, and they would never, ever done that before. And I try to encourage them to do that. It's a step. It's just a little step. But what they can grow from that, because sometimes I can't even get them to do that much. Once they got that seed and they start growing, it's, it's, it's boundless, like a tree. That's what I like to think. You plant a seed and grow like a tree, you have no idea what kind of fruit it'll bear, the good work, the growth and the knowledge. Um, and I encourage people all the time because it's some of the most amazing stuff I've ever been part of. 
Okay, good. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us and brought us to the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has qualified us. How has he done it? Which enables the filling of the Holy Spirit. Yes, very good. I think this is me, but I don't know why. <sighs> For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the sun, brought us into the kingdom of the Son and loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What is the dominion of darkness? Being separate from the Lord. Being part of Satan's kingdom. Being part of Satan's kingdom. Practicing Satan's kingdom. You can see Satan's kingdom? Practicing Satan's Practicing Satan's kingdom. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. And not even knowing it. Is that, yeah, I was going to say, uh, you know, a dominion is where people traditionally live, right? Well, the dominion of darkness is basically a dominion of spiritually dead people. Very good. Excellent. So, what is redemption? Yeah. It, it, the word was redeemed. So what does it mean that we have redemption? God buys us back and changes our viewpoint. So that we see for the kingdom of darkness for what it is. And we understand how fitting it is to where we were and where we go once we become Christians. Here's my off-color uh, analogy. On a, on a coupon it says it's re, it can be redeemed for a tenth of a cent. But you can't use more than one, so you can never take ten of them and get a penny. So basically, a coupon is absolutely worthless unless you use it to get ten cents off a of cat food or buy one, get one free dinner or something like that. Now, all of a sudden, you've taken something that is absolutely worthless and turned it into something that's very valuable to those who have it in hand. The same with our lives. If you're in the, the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, you're gone. You are absolutely worthless, and the redemption turns us into sons of God, sons that he loves, 
we're worth more than gold. What a great analogy. That is great. Thank you, Doug. For he's rescued us, he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How should we respond to the truth? Ah, that we've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Is our spiritual act of service. Very good. Excellent. Now it's your turn. They, they had their turn. Now it's your turn. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Praise, praise for praise to God for what He's done. Yeah. When does this happen? How many of y'all Christians? Everybody. Good. This happens now. We are in the kingdom of God. Now. Not someday. Now. Which is so important. Okay. A piece of advice I give to my teenage daughter and her friends is to know what you're worth. As they've broken into the dating world, they got to know what they're worth. And the guys, they have to know what they're worth. And I, re I reiterate that, and that's the same thing with us. Now you know what you're worth. You're not worth that tenth of a cent. You're not worth the coupon that got thrown in the trash. You are worth a whole can of cat food or whatever it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when she started dating, uh, she would come and she'd sit on my lap and she'd tell me, you know, that this guy was really mean and he was always, and I, I told her, I said, you're a king's kid, so if he doesn't treat you like a princess, kick him to the curb. Uh, as far as uh, being in the dominion of light now, I think it's really critically important for the Christian to um, really uh, allow that to resonate in our mind uh, because that's where we're time and time told again to set our minds on the things above because as we know we are born from above and Paul writes in Ephesians something very similar in Ephesians 2 chapter uh, chapter 2 verse uh, 6 where he writes and God raised us up present tense uh, or past tense uh, with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So spiritually speaking, we are right now seated with Christ in that power position on the throne. And, uh, you know, time and time again, we're called to set our minds on things above, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's, it's important, in my opinion, to fix our eyes on Jesus in that power position, not in a flesh, fleshly position on the cross when he, not to negate the importance of that, but that's not where he is now. Yeah. And that's not where we are either. Which is a great segue into the sermon this Sunday. We're going to be back in our series that we can know we are saved. And it's out of 1 John. We're going to be very close to the scripture read in 1 John chapter 3. 
and we're going to find out how we can know. So by chapter 5, in verse 13, it says that he wrote these things so that we may know we have eternal life. So come back this Sunday as we start studying again that you may know you have eternal life. Thank you all for coming and making yourselves open and making comments. That makes the class. I appreciate it so much. Thank you.